Welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast, where we dive into the world of movers, shakers, and changemakers, creating a positive impact on the world. This is your host, Alexandra Black Pollock, and together we're going to tackle real issues, discovering how we can make the world a better place. Thanks for joining us for another Stories from the Field episode where we're connecting with different people who are able to drive home the impact of organizations and their work around the globe. If you're looking for tactical ways to move forward and make this type of impact in your endeavors, then you need to check out Journey to Social Entrepreneurship, an entire event designed to harness the power of service and move forward towards successful social enterprise. Check that out and unlock all of the recordings. My free gift to you at journeytosocialentrepreneurship.com. And with that, we've got some incredible stories on the line today. Wednesday, we went adventuring with Kyle Wiggins from Kateka as he described authentic travel experiences in Latin America. This was actually the second time I interviewed <laughs> Kyle, and both times he described this absolutely scrumptious culinary tour in Panama City. After continually hearing about this experience, I couldn't take it anymore. I needed to connect with the creator, and that is exactly who is joining us today. I have Isaac Villaverde, the guide for this authentic gastronomical excursion. Isaac, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Alexandra. I am so excited and I'm so grateful that you were connecting from Panama City. It's actually nighttime there. How is it in the city? <laughs> yeah, it's 9.36 p.m. in warm and humid Panama City, Panama. <laughs> and you went gallivanting around the town trying to find a strong enough internet connection to connect tonight. Yeah, I was in this coffee shop thinking that it was going to be fine, but I think everybody just... <laughs> connected at the time I had the interview and I just needed to make a move. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are so grateful that you really did go around the city looking for strong enough Wi-Fi. Yeah. Now, I have never been to Panama. So what are some typical dishes that somebody can expect to find when they travel there? Yeah, I mean, Panama is a, it's quite interesting when it comes to cuisine uh, because we have so much influence from all parts of the world. Um, I specialize in Afro-Panamanian food, which is the, the result of more than 500 years of history. You know, uh, we had two main waves of African descendants coming to Panama. The first one was in 1510, around that year, you know. Uh, they were brought to Panama by the Spanish. And then we have a strong second wave of African descendants coming from the Antillians and the West Indies. Uh, that will be in 1890. So those uh, groups influence our cuisine in a way that you can find Panama uh, dishes uh, very similar to Jamaican uh, dishes, to Barbadians uh, dishes, and, and so forth. So we have a lot of coconut, rice and peas. We have uh, curry chicken. We have uh, brown stew. We have stew peas. We have uh, the Caribbean cuisine is, is very popular and, and strong in Panama. Sounds absolutely scrumptious. <laughs> All right. So that was mixed with the Spanish traditional cuisine, uh, which was, you know, here because we were part of the uh, colonial age. Uh, we were part of Spain. So you can imagine uh, after that mix, you know, with the Spanish cuisine and the Caribbean cuisine, what we have today. 
Oh, Isaac, you were just making my mouth water. I wish I had like been able to order some to yes. test it out tonight. Oh, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> So the tour describes Afro-Panamanian cuisine as the most notorious expression of rebellion and resistance. What does that mean when it comes to food? Yeah, I mean, um, for me and for us in, in this generation, eating these dishes and being able to cook them and pre present them, it's, uh, it's the best representation that our ancestors endure, you know, the pain of slavery and, and, and suffering. And that's the only way we can have that today. They were strong enough to endure and express themselves in a way that even today we still have it. You know, that's why it's so important for us. I mean, at some point, uh, slave didn't have anything but food, you know, and that was a, a great moment in their daily uh, routines uh, where they can gather around something that was tangible and they can enjoy it. So it, was, it's, it has a deep meaning for us. At some point, it was all they had. That, that's why having food on the table, good food, is so important for us. You know, it's such a unique way that you describe the relationship of food and history. And there really are so many different roots around the foods and the dishes that we serve. And I'm so excited that you are helping bring that relationship to light. Correct. Correct. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> The individuals that you take on the tours, what are some of their favorite parts of this story that you take them on? Yeah, I, I think the the first stop is one of the most notorious ones because it's the Afro-Panamanian, because we have two groups, right? We call it Afro-Colonials and then we call it Afro-Antillians. The Afro-Colonials came first, therefore their cuisine is more basic, basic ingredients. So you have like fried fish and patacones. Patacones is plantain, smashed plantain, basically. Uh, what in Puerto Rico they will call tostones. In Cuba they will call tostones, right? We call it patacones. So this is very basic, you know, fried fish, uh, uh, fresh uh, with patacones. Ceviche, which is a, the, a Panamanian version of the Peruvian one. A lot of lime, onions. It's presented in a different way from the Peruvian because he has a more Caribbean influence, you know. Um, so this is very basic. Then the third stop of the tour, the last one, we take them to Rio Abajo. Rio Abajo is actually my hometown. Rio Abajo was uh, built by the Americans when they were building the Panama Canal uh, as a as town for Afro-Antillians, people from Jamaica, Barbados. These people uh, were British, uh, uh, you know, they had a British influence. Therefore, the cuisine uh, had a different techniques, more elaborated. So they can see the difference from the fried fish basic ingredients to the fish in coconut sauce with rice and peas and these baked patties and all of this, you know. Um, so I wouldn't say Afrontilians made it better. They just imported <laughs> a different technique for the food. And that, you know, uh, created a new way of eating in Panama. So it's amazing, you know. Just so added I, their own spin to it, right? Correct, correct. Because they had the British influence, you know. They had different techniques, basically, of baking and, and you know, uh, marinating and the jerk from Jamaica and the spices and all of that. That came with them, right? So you add that to what we already had. Panama, uh, the meaning of the word Panama is abundance of fish, so you can imagine uh, how it is for us with seafood and fish, right? I bet you it's absolutely scrumptious. 
Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Now, on the first stop, you described ceviche, and that you mentioned that there was this other influence that you guys had there. I happen to live in San Diego, California, obviously very close to Mexico. How does our ceviche differ from that that you guys have down there? Yeah, um, for some reason, Panamanians' palates don't like raw food. <laughs> we have a thing with raw food. We don't, we don't enjoy it that much in our traditional cuisine. I mean, I do enjoy it, but like the majority of people uh, don't. So our ceviche uh, sits on lime and onions for at least two days, and then we eat it. So by the time you eat the, the ceviche, the fish is almost fully cooked in this lime as opposed to, for example, the Peruvian uh, ceviche that is uh, as fresh as it's better, you know what I mean? So they, it's almost raw, like the lime and the fish. For us, it's not that good that way. <laughs> I have to know, admit, I'm totally with you guys. I don't know if I could do the Peruvian ceviche. And I'm super <laughs> lucky in San Diego, you know, that ceviche comes out pretty darn near cooked. Yes, yes. So they in Panama, the way we eat it is that it sits in, in fresh lime for a couple of days or more than 24 hours, basically. And it's almost fully cooked. It's, it's awesome. I mean, I love it. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite dishes. Yeah, absolutely. Then we, we do this uh, planting baskets. We fry the baskets and we put them in these planting baskets. It's amazing. It's, a, it's finger food, but it's just awesome. The that's, combination of the ceviche and the plantain, amazing. That's it. I, I need to be in Panama City right now enjoying all of this finger food. <laughs> yeah, you, you should log in and, and see some photos and videos we have in uh, social media for the food tour. It's, it's just great. You'll see a lot of people eating. So if you haven't eaten yet, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I haven't eaten dinner, and that will actually just make me very sad and hungry. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah. the way Kyle described it, um, this is exactly what I expected. Absolutely decadent, rich food with that amazing culture and the story behind it. Yeah, it's, it's about that. You know, um, Panama, you have like a super strong Chinese community, super strong Italian community, Jewish community, because they've been with us since, you know, since we the, the country was founded, basically. And and that's who we are. I mean, that's what we are. And we have to love that. The fact that we have so much people and so many cultures joining and, and here. The, the issue is when we don't have any information about who we are, we lose our identity. So part of what we're trying to do with this and, and trying to join as, as much people as we can is that we believe that in order for, for you or whoever to appreciate and respect other people's cultures and traditions and religions or whatever is it you need to understand yours i mean if i love my culture i can understand the reason why you love yours and respect it you know and there where we can coexist but if i don't have no love for who i am and what you know my ancestor passed on to me how am i going to understand how it is for you so i think that's that's key in what we're trying to do love who you are love who you, where you come from, and then you will understand why the Jewish community is the way they are, and the Italian community, and the Chinese, and so forth. You know what I mean? So that's what we're trying to do. I'm so excited that you kind of brought this up, because part of your startup is, you know, really helping to preserve that Afro-Paramanian culture and educate the youth on what this culture is and kind of encourage them to understand it, to embrace it, and then also bringing in this aspect of entrepreneurship. 
So can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah, um, I, I grew up, I was born in a rough neighborhood, right? And if you are not an athlete, your probabilities or chances of making it decrease <laughs> a lot, you know? So I believe that entrepreneurship should be a seed in every youth uh, mind, you know, I mean, just growing. Uh, you don't have to to be an athlete just to make it out of there, to, to make it, to make a living for your family. There's so many things we can do. There's so Our culture is so rich. We have so many natural resources. When I, you know, we have fruits all year long, like the whole year. If when there's when it's not the watermelon season, is the orange season. When it's not the orange season, is the mango season. So we have fruits all year long. All my favorite seasons. <laughs> yes, there's there's just so many things we can do, but unfortunately, uh, the education system is designed in a way that you know how it is, right? People don't come out of it with an entrepreneurial mindset. So what we're trying to do is saying to the youth, like, hey, look, this is what we do. We're just like you. I mean, we are just like you. There's no difference between you and I. And we just we just turn on the light, basically. We turn on the light. We saw the opportunity. And that's what we're doing. I'm not. I'm, it's not that you have to change who you are. The way you are, who you are, where you came from, you can still make a living being an entrepreneur. Of course, there's there's a road you have to walk. You need to walk. You need to learn. You need to educate yourself. And that's where, you know, all this technology and information comes into place. Um, but the information's there. Uh, these kids, they have cell phones. They have access to Internet. They have access to so many things. It's just the way they use them is probably not appropriate. But if, if we just plant <laughs> the seed of entrepreneurship in their heads, I think... We believe that just like there are like mass destruction weapons, I, we believe that entrepreneurship is a mass construction weapon. Oh, that is the best term ever. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. It's powerful. It's powerful. There are drugs. There are so many things out there that are mass destruction. They are made to destroy, destroy everything, right? But there are things out there that can really, really turn this around. And we believe in, in the core of what we do, that entrepreneurship is one of those. Oh, using entrepreneurship as a mass construction tool Correct. to really change Correct. the way the society is addressing Correct. some of the problems. Correct. That is absolutely Correct. incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, and and we also believe that, you know, it's not about blaming, like blaming the system, blaming slavery, blaming this and blaming our race and our color. And because we're, I mean, yeah, there's discrimination. We cannot say there is not. We we agree with that. There is this. And there are so many things that the government and the system can still do. But hey, like there's, there's a share that we own and, and we need to turn it around. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's awesome. what we're trying to do. So talking about the power of entrepreneurship, particularly what Keteca what is doing in your community, how has this opportunity with them helped shape your entrepreneurial journey? It's, it's awesome because basically each one of us is doing what they're best at, they're better at. Like Keteca is a, is a tour, like local tour uh, startup, basically helping people that have amazing stories, amazing tours that they're doing amazing activities, but they just don't have the capacity to to portray that way, to present it that way, and to organize it, right? These people, some some tours are like 
down there in the jungle, right? These people don't have access to internet or anything, but Keteka is basically opening the door, the window for big things for them, like giving them access to a bigger market. So in this, in my case, Keteka is taking care of that for me, and I'm focusing focusing on what I'm, what I'm good at. You know, I'm good at food, right? <laughs> yeah, we heard that. You you really got the food stuff down. We are good at food and we're good in the cultural development and, and preservation of our traditions, right? So we're joining forces. It's not like today I'm going to become the, the tour organizer. No, Keteca is doing that because that's their, their part. My part is just to keep it moving with the food and keep people, you know, aware of what we're trying to do. So it's a, it's a great combination. I, I really appreciate uh, that we're joining forces and uh, we it's working fine. It's perfect. I mean, I think it's a great uh, model of business. Each one is doing what they're better at. I love that. Keteca allows you to do what you do excel at and they just connect you with travelers. Correct. Correct. I don't. It's, it's like I don't have to make anything up. I just have to do what I do every day. I do to the fish market very often, right? Because I need to get fresh food for my cuisine, right? For mm-hmm. my uh, uh, website. So I do the same. I take the, the, the tourists to the same places I go to buy my food. I take them to the same places I go to eat. I, so that's the, the, the good thing about our tour, right? Like, we're not going to take you to a place where tourists and, 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 and foreigners eat. We're going to take you to the place where the people, the, the, the regular Panamanians will eat Afro-Panamanian food. So All the we're... locals, where those locals go. Correct. So you will sit in a table in a place where you will be surrounded by locals eating their food, loving it. You know what I mean? So I think it's a different experience. It's a completely different experience. Like by the end of a tour, you feel like shit. Like I just gained a friend in Panama. Like I'm just eating in the place where he eats with his mom and dad, basically. You know and probably I mean? about 10 pounds after you hit all of those three different areas. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's just too good, you know, to say no. Oh, man, I can't wait till I get to go. Yeah. Uh, Isaac, how many tours have you kind of led since you started with K-Teka? Uh We have had around five tours so far. Awesome. Um, usually, that's in usually couples. Um, for some reason, couples enjoy it a lot. Um, I can see that. It's just like... <laughs> Yeah, it's like their escape, you know, like, let's have this, it's our shit day for food, you know, so they enjoy it a lot. Oh, and what is your favorite part about the tour? Um, my favorite part about the tour is when, is the second stop, when we go to the Cerroncon. Cerroncon is a hill in Panama City that has so much uh, connection with the relationships uh, within the U.S. and Panama. You know, we've been flitting the two countries have been flitting for all over a hundred years now so this place has a lot of uh meaning for these relationships how panama separated from colombia how the panama canal was built in panama what happened in 1964 with the riots and everything what happened in 1977 when panama signed the torrijos cutter treaty that we was going to return the Panama, the Panama Canal to Panamanians. What happened in 1999 when the Panama Canal was finally returned to Panamanians? I mean, that, that, and there we explained that to, to, the, to the tourists. So that's one of my favorite parts of the tour. Because, you know, I can explain how the different generations see the United States in a different way. It's like if you talk to, the, to my grandpa about the United States, 
he will have one feeling towards the states. If you talk to my dad about the United States, he will have a different opinion about him. And if you talk to me, I have a completely different. So it's it's just amazing how history has been evolving in the relationships between the U.S. and Panama and how that impacts how people feel about it. Now, when you saw, say your grandpa would have a different feeling, how would you describe that feeling towards the U.S.? Well, my grandpa was born in 1940, like when you guys were winning, almost winning the, the uh, World War II, right? So you guys won the, the war. He was, he was a baby, and all that age was all United States. So United States for him is like the hero, the savior of the world. He loved the States. Basically. <laughs> he even went to boarding school, right? Uh, he likes the military. He likes the army. He likes all those movies. He likes that, right? Uh, although my father was born in 1965 when Panama was having a little conflict with the United States for the Panama Canal Zone. Remember, the Panama Canal Zone was given to the United States for eternity, something that by 1960-something was already a, an issue in, in Panamanian younger generations with patriotic feelings and all of that. So in 19... Uh, 64, Panama and the States got into a huge diplomatic battle over some uh, important uh, situations that happened with some students that were opposing to the American flag being waved in uh, in an American school. So they wanted the Panama, the Panamanian flag being waved there too. Therefore, uh, they try to enter access by force the American, the Panama Canal Zone, and they were shot and, and killed, unfortunately. So Panama and the States broke diplomatic relationships and all that, and that led to the long negotiation, and that ended in 1977 with the sign of the uh, Torrios-Cutter Treaty. So my dad is part of that generation, the generation that basically got the canal back, like go home, uh, Jankies, go back, it's stuff like that. You know what I mean? So his feelings towards the United States is not that good. He he don't like them. Uh, <laughs> So fast forward to today, 2016, how do you fall into the mix? But I was born in 1989, the year the Americans invaded Panama to take down the communist system. So I've been, I've been, I never lived in the communist system. I lived the democratic age of Panama where the Americans were the saviors again. You know what I mean? So for me, the Americans are the heroes again. You know what I mean? <laughs> they are my friends. They're, they came to save us from the communist system. We're a democratic uh, country now. And look, the city is just popping after 27 years, right? So that's the feeling I have. So when we have a family gathering in the United States coming to the conversation, that topic, well, you have, you're going to have some really interesting discussions. And, and that's not the case. That's not just the case for my family, but for, I believe, all families in Panama. <laughs> oh, man. What a diverse culture. And the way you describe Panama and all of the different cultural influences and then all the food related around that, it sounds like such a unique, interesting, and absolutely incredible place to visit. Correct, correct. <laughs> well, Isaac, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know I personally cannot wait until the day that I make it to Panama City to go on your particular tour. Perfect. Uh, I want you to say hi to my friends. They're here. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, guys, say hi to... Can you come up with your camera? Yep. Hi. This is Alexandra. She's in the States in San Diego, right? Yep, I'm in San Diego. Okay. Say hi, guys. Hi, Alexandra. Hello. Hello. 
All right. So thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Well, movers and shakers, I hope you guys enjoyed that really, really unique insight to Afro Panamanian culture and all of the different dishes. If you're not hungry right now, well, you're just really lucky because now I'm absolutely starving. And what a unique glimpse to the different culture and the way that food intertwines with the culture. Overall, just a really exciting topic. For all of the resources mentioned today, including some photos of that unique and fantastic food that Isaac mentioned, head on over to positiveimpactpodcast.com slash resources slash keteka. That's K-E-T-E-K-A. If you're looking for a way to make a positive impact in your life today, then head on over to our homepage. And there, we're going to share with you the top five ways that our guests have shared to make a positive impact today. It doesn't have to be crazy, elaborate, or expensive, but these are really creative, unique, powerful ways. Until next time, keep doing your part to make the world a better place.